0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Good morning, everyone, or afternoon for those on the East Coast. Welcome back for a brand new edition of Collider Dailies. I'm Perry Nemeroff. This is Steve Weintraub, and we have a great list of things today or things that i'm very excited to talk about i don't know how you feel about these topics steve
2: i i'm i uh i'm in let's do it
1: okay i'll take that i'll take that we're just launching right into it right now the uh the title topic of today's episode our first topic up is a review of the exorcist believer which is the hot new release of the weekend so just in case you need a little exorcist 101 This new movie is directed by David Gordon Green, and it's meant to serve as a sequel, a direct sequel to the 1973 original. Of course, it is about uh, a young girl who gets possessed and parents have to fight to save her, but this time around, it's two girls who get possessed. And this movie, after screening, it got some uh, some pretty strong reactions. I think at this very moment while we're live, it's sitting at something like a 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. So, uh, Steve, I'm going to throw this your way first before I rant for a while. Do you think The Exorcist Believer deserves such a low score? Uh,
2: I guess I'm in the minority because I definitely don't think it deserves a 23%. Uh, I was really into the film. I really enjoyed it. I would recommend it. And I wonder if the reason the score is low is that people went in expecting a lot of scares and this film doesn't really have scares the way that a lot of horror films do. And we'll get into that. But for me, I just thought it was a very well-crafted film, good performances. And what I really enjoyed about it was how grounded everything was. People made decisions Based on what you would really do if your daughter had these symptoms, no one was making stupid movie decisions. People are acting smart, and I respected, well, at least for me. But like, I respected that for for what the movie is. But let, what do you have?
1: I'll, no, I'll, I can get behind some of the points you made. Uh, first, just to backtrack a little, because I feel like I went into The Exorcist: Believer with with a lot of expectations, specifically because. I love, love, loved the 2018 Halloween movie so, so much. It was one of my favorite movies of that year. And I thought that was an example of a great way to bring back an iconic horror franchise and make it something for longtime fans, but also newcomers as well. Then I think a lot of people know how I feel about this, but that Halloween trilogy kind of went off the rails for me and it definitely didn't stick the landing. So I was disappointed. Then they announced that David Gordon Green is doing an Exorcist film not an Exorcist film, a new Exorcist trilogy. So I immediately go into Believer a little, a little skeptical. So that was my mindset going into the screening. When that screening started, I would, I would probably say for, I don't know, nearly the first hour, I, I roughly the, the first half, cause I think the movie clocks in at about two hours, maybe a little less. I was love, love, loving the movie for a lot of the reasons you just said. It is extremely character driven, grounded. It takes its time making sure that you get to know the new characters and you care about them. And then once the possession comes into play, it really does take its time in terms of showing how the possession changes the girls, how the parents respond. And I was very into the idea that, you know, they're pursuing all of these medical paths, trying to figure out what what's happening to their loved ones and they're helpless every single step of the way. My heart was truly crumbling for parents losing their children and not having anything to do to save them. And then all of a sudden, It veers into I must be a sequel territory. And that's where it lost me. Not entirely.
2: Well, I have to ask you, and I apologize. I don't want to do spoilers. But when when did it veer into sequel territory in the film for you?
1: So when they, when, I, I don't want to give away any spoilers here, but when they start to bring back Chris McNeil, Ellen Burstyn's character, I, I was very excited. I mean, her involvement was one of the big reasons I, I had faith in this movie. I was excited about that. And I thought her wanting to get involved was was a sign that like we could have something special here. And I I was into what they were starting to do with that character. But then I think it hit a point with, What they did with that narrative was taking away from what had worked so well, the the original elements of this new Exorcist movie. And when that path not only didn't strengthen the movie, but ultimately landed with a big old thud for me, I'm sitting there thinking, maybe we shouldn't have made this a direct sequel. And we should have just made any old new installment of the Exorcist franchise.
2: I hear what you're saying, and obviously she was cast because you get to put – it ties it to the original. It's 50 years. They're using real time. I understand why the cast are I understand – I don't necessarily agree with you when it comes to setting up uh, in the middle of the movie, like setting up a sequel thing. I think that her – character
1: No no, no I don't all, mean setting up a new sequel I mean reminding people like this is a sequel to the iconic oh, original
2: I I understand and look like I think the choice of putting her in the film is well how do you have her work with the story I I think there is a I think you could have made this movie without her and it would have been just as effective but having her in it is to appeal to old like fans who saw the original and now might say I guess I need to see this or whatever. I, I I hear, I see that argument.
1: I I definitely don't want to speak for everybody. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not a hardcore Exorcist fan. Everyone knows like Scream and Final Destination. Those are my franchises. I love the Exorcist, but I'm not as like in tune with every single detail as I am with those franchises. But like, I'm a big enough fan that from the fan perspective, what they've, what they've done with the past and that character in this narrative, working it into these two girls, what they're experiencing, it, it didn't feel right at all to me.
2: Well, look, the fact is we need to move on to the next subject. But so I'm gonna say on my perspective, I really enjoyed the movie and I would recommend it. And just know going in that there's not a ton of scares the way you might get in certain films.
1: I'll I'll disagree with that. I thought some of the jump scares were pretty effective, so I was I was impressed by that. And I think I think one of the best scares of the movie is just the scares of the whole scenario. I, I think at the beginning, again, they make it really chilling what's happening to these girls.
2: Also, I just want to say I really enjoyed the editing and how there was a lot of abrupt cuts and when and where David chose to show a demon. Like I I, I really enjoyed what he did with it, and I'm really surprised at the at the low reviews and the, the really. Really negative reviews, I just don't get it
1: i'm I'm not surprised, but I also know that I very much enjoyed a lot of the newer elements. and also, I'll just point out one more thing, how they change how they tackle an exorcism in this movie, I, th- I thought it was like a, a, a smart, interesting way to explore that and do something fresh and new. I don't know if they took it to the level they really could have, but it's, a, it's an intriguing idea. And that's one element that does make this feel like a really fresh exorcist movie. All right, <laughs> from the exorcist to the beekeeper, Right now, we are going to give you our thoughts on the trailer for The Beekeeper. This one's directed by David Ayer, and it stars Jason Statham. I'm going to have to read this from the official synopsis so I get all the details right here. But he's playing I, Perry, a man.
2: Perry, Perry, Perry well, I'm going to pause you there. You don't have to sell this movie with a synopsis. Jason Statham has made a a, a a Jason Statham movie that happens to be directed by David Ayer, where he goes up for revenge on people.
1: That is and- that is fair. But just so people know what beekeepers is, you got to know that. So like dudes on on a brutal campaign for vengeance and it takes on national stakes after it's revealed after he is revealed to be a former operative of a powerful organization known as beekeepers. There. Yes. So that's what beekeepers is.
2: Yeah, they're, they're the people that get called when, you know, it's the same bullshit. Well, sorry, the same stuff in, you know, all the movies. He's a superpowered agent, except he's just. Whatever. The point is, uh, you know what this movie is before you go to push play on the trailer, saying that I'm a Statham, a Stathamologist. I'll say it like that. (laughs) I like watching Jason Statham punch people in the face. And unlike some of Jason's movies for me, where it felt like I was getting weak sauce. I do think that with David Ayer helming this, uh, it looked fun and it looked like they'd spent more than five dollars on it. So I'm like, I'm all in on Jason, you know, punching people and killing people, it, what can I say?
1: Many things to say. First thing is I think we need a, like a running board on Collider dailies for every time you drop a curse word. Right, I don't mean to, I'm so <laughs> and sorry. We're, and we're like, keep a tally, I'll give you a star for every single episode that you don't do that.
2: <laughs> it's definitely a problem, uh, and I, I apologize to the audience.
1: <laughs> it, it was quick, I have a feeling most people missed it. Um, I mainly wanted to cover this trailer and watch it, period, just because, I mean, a lot of people also know this about me. I'm afraid of bees. So like the second I see, do you not know this, Steve?
2: I do. I do not know. You're afraid of bees.
1: Sure story. That's really boring. I don't know why I'm telling this, but it happened this morning. I tried to do my laundry, and my my washer dryer is out on uh, the balcony here. This morning before we we went live, and I wouldn't go outside to do my laundry because there there was like a bee right by the door handle on the outside that was just like aller- waiting for me.
2: Are you allergic?
1: No. And I've been stung before. I know it doesn't really hurt, but something about you know like. Things erratically flying around with little stingers on their butts that could hurt me. It just I don't know, gets me all crazy.
2: I, listen, I, I think that everyone has their own little vices or little things, phobias. I have some. It's not bees. Um, <laughs> and I respect that you have an issue with bees. I mean
1: I'll like cup up a spider and I'll take it outside. Like I'll never, I'll never kill anything. Oh
2: no! See that—that's where you go wrong. I—I I kill spiders. No. Um, but anyway, let's talk about beat the beekeeper. The
1: beekeeper. Um, Look, this this beekeeper. trailer looked pretty pretty solid to me. I liked the tea up, and you know, like you, when you you tell me Jason Statham is in a revenge movie, I know what I'm getting, and and I want to see that. I thought this one had a really good setup though. I like this idea of the beekeepers organization. It was definitely something hinted at in the trailer that left me curious to know more about what they do and how they operate. And I, I also like the visuals. In particular, I like um, I like a lot of the the material that took place in the office where, where the folks stealing are based with the neon colors, the bright poppy colors. I like visuals like that.
2: I, I also think that everyone can relate to telemarketers uh, and hating them. Uh, and, uh, you know, especially I just watched the doc telemarketers on, um, you know, HBO, which I strongly mm-hmm. recommend, um, the three part series, but look, I, I, listen, I, I'm a fan of David Ayer and I want him to do well. And I want him to make kick-ass films and, um, you know, him paired with Jason for one of these revenge movies where Jason just gets to do his thing. I'm in just tell me I, when I can see it.
1: I have one question. Do you fear they revealed too much in this trailer?
2: 100%, but they do that in every trailer. Uh, I, But this is, being honest, I try not to watch trailers and I'm gonna, with Collider, I really, because they spoil movies and with Collider Dailies, I'm now gonna have to watch a bunch of trailers that I normally would avoid. Uh, but like, look, Beekeepers, Beekeeper totally reveals a ton about the movie um, and I wish it revealed less.
1: Yeah, I feel like that is often how I feel about trailers, but I can't help myself. Are you gonna, <laughs> what's <laughs> Oh, dude, I did not know if you were going to sneeze or like bend over and pick up a cat just now.
2: No, no, that was uh, that's what happens when you're live. You get to experience real stuff. Anyway, moving on to the next.
0: Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
1: All right, so our final segment of today's episode of Collider Dailies is something we're going to call Interviewing 101. Part of the, the thing we want to do with Collider Dailies in an effort to make it stand out is... Have it serve as, you know, a peek behind the curtain industry wise. There, we've, we've experienced a lot in this business between the two of us, and we want to be able to give you some insight on this show that you can't get elsewhere. And a lot of you have watched interviews that Steve and I have conducted. So I feel like we're, we're particularly experienced in that arena of the industry. So right now we're each going to give three, three tips or rules that we abide by when we prepare for our interviews. Steve, do you want me to start first, or do you want to give the first one?
2: Uh, okay, well, I want to I want to start, and I'm going to say that uh, that my rules are all determined based on the length of the interview, and uh, I think it's important to to caveat this because if you are doing a normal junket interview at a hotel where you have four minutes on camera, how I prepare is generally radically different than when I have 20 minutes or 40 minutes. And uh, whether it be in person or on Zoom, because when you have that much more time, you can Howard Stern it a little bit, where you can actually ask like different kinds of questions. So I think we need to say what how, what's the length of this interview and that will give you my, or I'll be able to share more of how I prepare.
1: Okay, I'm with you, length is very important. I, I'll give you my like number one chief rule, the thing that applies to every interview no matter who it's with, how long it is, how it's conducted, you name it. I I only ask questions that I genuinely want to know the answer to. And I know that sometimes you wind up in situations where nobody knows anything about the movie and it's important to give basic background information just so people can appreciate the rest of the interview. But I find that it's important to me to always format those types of questions in a way that that excites me as well. And usually what winds up happening or what I hope winds up happening is that turns that answer into something that, yes, does give the basics, but also gives a little fresh, insightful angle to it that you wouldn't get anywhere else. That is my first one.
2: So one of the advantages to doing interviews for Collider is that our audience is very ahead of the curve and the people that read Collider know about movies, they know about TV shows and they know what these things are about. So the the cheat that we have, unlike, say, news organization in Lincoln, Nebraska, is, you know, the news organizations around the country are cutting like a two, three minute package and they need the people that are involved in said project to give background to their audience, to educate them, if you will, what is this about? Why should you see it? Well, I never ask about that because I know the Collider audience knows what Ahsoka is about or what the killer is about or Scream. And so we can ask, or I think I can ask questions that are more technical and are things that, that going back to what you said, that I wanna know, but I also think the audience would be interested in knowing. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why certain filmmakers and actors like talking to us because we're not asking a similar question because of our audience. Mm-hmm. I haven't right. also revealed anything about how I prep.
1: I was gonna say,
2: so what is your second one now? <laughs> um, no, I, just to be the, real real quick, say I'm doing a four minute interview with someone. Um, I will always look at IMDb. I'll always read about them on Wikipedia. I'll do research on who I'm talking to, to see if there's something, that is out of the box that I can ask about that somehow pertains to the project. But then it also comes down to whether or not who I'm talking to. And I will cite an example here. If you're talking to The Rock, who is the nicest guy, you can ask about anything and he's gonna be game to talk about it. But say you're talking to Tommy Lee Jones, who I've spoken to a number of times. He is a very difficult interview. And when I say difficult, I mean difficult. And you need to have your good questions That pertain to the project that are interesting and that are not bs he wants no filler so you need to be able to ask things like you can't say how did you prepare for this project you're done he will destroy you you know um but you need to find things so it really does come down to who are you talking to and then i could keep on going about whether or not i enjoyed the film and um you know am i wasting a minute at the beginning having fun or am i getting right into it there's more to say depend anyway
1: that's that's also the benefit of growing old in this industry and how long the two of us have been doing this for is that you often cross paths with uh, the same person multiple times and you learn from your previous interview and it makes your next one even stronger. Um, A big point for me, and it's something that I definitely learned along the way, and I think it completely changed the way that my interviews feel, is when I realized how incredibly important it is to like, yeah, ask the questions that you planned. But also, listen, I find that some of the answers that I get that excite me most as, a, as a, a viewer and a reader are the ones that came up spontaneously based on what someone said in an answer to a plan question. And then I asked an unplanned follow up and it took us down a path that I didn't expect. But that is the most interesting thing in the world.
2: Sure. But again, here's the problem. And this is what I wish some of the audience realized when you have four minutes and four minutes is not a lot of time. You think, and maybe people, it's a very small window. And when you sit down, sometimes you're only going to get three minutes, 30 seconds, but when it's all said and done. So if you sit down and then ask a fun question or something you think is interesting, and then they talk for too long, you are just completely done because then the next question has to be about the project. And, um, and the problem is that like, when you're talking to someone who has a lot of upcoming projects or other things you want to ask about besides the movie, you're trying to figure out ways to work that in. And, and I, people, I've read comments where people are like, "They said something so interesting, why didn't you do a follow-up?" And the reason is I have one minute left. If I do that follow-up, that's the end of the interview. Or I can ask about X-Men 17 or some other thing that I really want to know about. So sometimes you just have to like let an interesting thing go. To facilitate getting to a story that you want to ask about.
1: Yeah, it can't. It can be hard. I feel like those those four minute slots are extremely difficult to navigate.
2: They're they're next to impossible, especially if you're with a filmmaker. Four minutes is like, if you're with a director, you basically just want to like, it's ridiculous because you can't ask anything, you know. Um, and that's why we're very fortunate to do longer interviews, yes. and they always lead to great stuff because you can actually dive in, and when someone says something interesting, you can do a follow up.
1: All right, Steve, what is your third tip?
2: Oh, my third tip. Um, As you said, I think you need to be in the moment and you need to make sure that even the questions you have, if someone does say something, and and I agree with what you're saying, if someone does, like I've sat down before wearing a weird t-shirt and all of a sudden and someone will, (laughs) the other person I'm sitting across will start sharing a story about Martin Scorsese or whatever it may be. And then like, you got to follow up on that because you're getting something because sometimes like Matt Damon's a great example. I've worn some shirts across from him and he'll start talking about things. And he has so many stories. And when he opens the door to a subject that you would love to ask about, but you don't know how to get there. And he's talking about it. You have to follow up, even if it eats into the movie, because you're going to get something that you're not going to normally get or anyone else is going to get.
1: Or like when Chris Pine starts talking about his cell phone. Oh, no, it was Chris Evans. It was Chris Evans, right? His iPhone, something like um, that.
2: <laughs> I think I asked him something about, no, he said something about his iPhone. And then I did some follow-ups or that was actually a great story.
1: I was going to, I was going to say that turned out to to do really well. And people seemed really into it. There's nothing to do with the movie. Run.
2: Yeah, that went viral on social with him holding up his phone and the home. Yes. It was about the home button.
1: Ah, that—that's what it was. Okay. Was, I respect that opinion. I understand it. All right, I'm gonna get—I'm uh, gonna get a little emotional with my last one because the last thing, my last personal tip that I always have to remind myself is, I feel like I always have to, even after all these years, try to stop and remind myself, you know what you're doing, and you're good at what you do. I feel like a lot of people out there are like this. I'm very, very hard on myself and I doubt myself often. So sometimes just that quick like pause, take a breath and remember you've been doing this for a long time, you're experienced, you know how to handle yourself and you're prepared. That's all I need to kind of like set my mind right and walk into a room with confidence because I don't know about you, Steve, but no matter how many interviews I do, I don't think I ever go into one without any nerves. It doesn't matter if someone's a new filmmaker or the biggest star in the world. I am often a big ball of nerves before it starts. So I need to say that to myself to have that moment of calm and then do the interview.
2: Okay, so I don't know if this is, if there's something wrong with me, Perry, um, I don't have that at all, like zero. Maybe I there's did. something wrong with me. Well, no, I hear that from other people, but <laughs> at the beginning when I first started doing TV, Back in the day, you know, back in the 70s, I'm joking. Um, Like, I remember the first two years or three years, it was definitely more nervous because it was all four minute interviews. And you remember, I I, like I started Collider in a bedroom, like being in these TV interviews. I was like, get the F out of here. Like, this is crazy. And I definitely was nervous. But now um, the only time I get nervous is when I am moderating an event that is a really big deal. And there's important people there. Like, I'll give an example. And I know we're over on time, but I'll just be very brief. I moderated a private event for the Adam Project with Ryan Reynolds and Jennifer Gardner and the the kid in it. And it was at a a special screening room filled with huge social uh, influencers, like the biggest people on TikTok, all these celebrities. And that was fine. But... Um, I realized uh, in the green room when I was coming out that all the heads of Netflix were going to be standing on the side, Ted Serrano's, all these big wigs. And like, there were all these very, very important people in the audience. And I do remember when I, when I got to stage or when I started doing the Q and a, I'm like, I need this one to go. Great. I need the audience laughing. I need everyone thinking this was a spectacular home run because of the level of people in the room. And I remember being a little bit in my head about that, but that is a very rare moment for me to be nervous.
1: Good example. I thought you were gonna use that as a great opportunity to plug the very exciting thing you've got going on tonight.
2: Oh, um, do you mean the Guillermo del Toro uh, IMAX 3D screening of uh, Pac Rim? This is going with me tonight, to put on the table if we have a table.
1: One Um, of the reasons I'm always less nervous to talk to Guillermo is because Dude is the sweetest, the biggest heart in the world, always is so like articulate and enthusiastic about talking about his craft. He's one of the easiest interviews in the world just because of how damn great he is.
2: Saying that, I agree with you, but I'm spending this afternoon <laughs> working on questions that are not fully ready yet because the opportunity to have Guillermo for an extended Q&A is, you know, I don't want to pass up the opportunity to ask good questions.
1: You will ask good questions. You will crush it. You always do, Steve. I'm, not, that I'm is, not worried. That is it. That takes us to the end of this edition of Collider Dailies. That is, that's it for the two of us this week. But tomorrow you get more of Maggie and John, who I watched their episode yesterday. They crushed it. So proud of them. Thank you all for tuning in today. And we will see you tomorrow morning with a brand new episode of Collider Dailies.